Hey, it's Peter here. Before we actually get started with your video, I wanted to remind you to please hit the subscribe button below or please, if you guys have any questions at all, feel free to leave a comment below and I'll answer any single one of your questions that you guys have. Also, if you want to follow me on Instagram, um, you want to join my Facebook group or you want to follow me on Snapchat or whatever it is that you're um, trying to follow me on, um, all the links will be in the description below. If you're listening in on podcasts, right, or if you're listening in on IGTV and there's no description below because you're not watching this on YouTube, then please go to this website, um, peterchanjr.com forward slash learn more. Again, that's peterchanjr.com forward slash learn more. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed this video. Thanks. Cool. So we're going to be starting in three, two, one. Hey, what's up, everybody? So on this call, this special episode, we're actually going to have a very special guest of mine, um, very good friend of mine, actually, that I've met a couple years back, really, really young kid, um, killer in the e-commerce game, really young, just started um, entrepreneurship, really, um, I want to say a couple years ago, maybe, just skip, skip college altogether, jump straight from high school, and just started making big, big moves with e-commerce. And Guys, believe it or not, okay, we're going to hear a really good story today because he's one of those guys that when it comes to e-commerce, there's a lot of these young kids on YouTube right now posting, you know, all the cool flashy things, trying to teach different things, but really a lot of them aren't practitioners. They're educators and they're flashy, but they're teaching really, really old methods of drop shipping straight from AliExpress and really the old school method, which is, you know, that is the way that I, you know, I came up. Um, our guests also came up that way. A bunch of us came up that way. But if you want to build a real business, this particular individual that we're going to hear from today took it upon himself to not only, you know, scale his e-commerce business to the seven, maybe even eight, eight figures level, but he went out of his way to actually have inventory and build a real business and a real brand. Okay. He's one of the best Facebook, um, marketers I know. Um, he was actually just over at my house. I want to say a couple weeks ago, we hung out, we watched the UFC fights during the quarantine. I know that's, you know, not, not, you're not supposed to do that, but either way, we watched the fights. We hung out. He's actually a GTR owner himself. So Matt, are you there? Yep, I'm right here, brother. What's up, man? Tell the crowd um, a little bit about yourself. So um, yeah, like, like you gave you a pretty good introduction. Um, I've been in e-com. I've been an entrepreneur for about three years now. Um, I started fresh out of high school when I first graduated high school. Um, I always knew I wasn't going to go to college. I always kind of knew that I hated school. You know, since freshman year of high school, I was like, this thing is like, I just didn't see the value in it, you know, which it's understandable because the system itself isn't designed in the best way to actually, you know, properly teach people. And, and so I, I kind of saw that from a very young age where like, I was like, I don't feel myself actually being in school for the next, you know, eight years, 10 years of my life. And so I knew that I had to figure out a different way to actually make money and, and you know, build a life that I wanted to live. And I knew that even if you do go to school and you do get a degree, the, the 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 ceiling that you hit is very low like you're not able to like make millions of dollars after going to school if you're working for somebody else it's very very rare they typically cap you at like a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and so i knew that i wanted to make a lot of money in my life i didn't want to be you know you know like uh held back by anybody or anything and so that's why i pursued entrepreneurship was because entrepreneurship kind of provided the ultimate freedom for me to just pursue whatever i wanted to, to pursue um and obviously make as much money as, as possible it's kind of all dependent on me like that's what i liked about it too was like the fact that it wasn't dependent on anybody else except me 
I had to make it work for myself. If I wanted to make an extra 10 grand a month or an extra hundred grand a month, it was up to me to make that happen. It wasn't up to my boss or anybody around me. I had to make it happen on my own. So that's what initially, you know, attracted me to entrepreneurship in the first place was just the freedom aspect of it. Um, and, you know, obviously after high school, kind of going into working a job, I had to, I had to get a part-time job. I had to kind of figure out some way to make some money in the meantime. And at the time, actually, um, when I first graduated high school, I think this is a situation that most people get into right after they graduate school, whether it's college or high school, um, you don't really know what you want to do. Like I knew I wanted to make money, but I didn't know what, I didn't know exactly how I was going to make money. I didn't know what that was going to look like or, or how to even start on. All, all I knew was I wanted to figure it out. And so initially I went from, you know, graduating high school to, you know, getting into a part-time job. I was working like at a retail, uh, surf shop in San Diego. And um, I wasn't making money. I was making like 400 bucks every two weeks and half of the check would go to my gas, you know, to get to and from work and, and random little things here and there. You weren't um, going to school at the time? No, no, no. I, I, yeah, I graduated high school and I was like, school's not for me. I can't go. There's no way I'm going to college after this. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just went straight into getting a part-time job right after high school. So, so like this is slow things down a little bit. Okay. Cause right now you're talking about, something that sounds really superficial for a lot of people. I mean, you're a high school kid and how are you thinking as a high school kid about not wanting to get a job or get a career? Like what, what made you think that? Was it like music videos? Did you read books or did you have friends that maybe did it and you wanted to model after them? Like what made you want to not go to college or actually make money? You know? So it's kind of a very, it's kind of a very interesting thing. I like the question a lot. It's a very interesting thing for me because it wasn't something that I saw I knew this from a very young age, like literally after I graduated middle school uh, and I was a freshman in high school, within two weeks, I like completely stopped caring about school. I was like, this thing, like, I don't know what it was about this, the, the school system I was in. Was, I was it because you sucked at school though? Or was it because you just didn't think it worked? I was, I was, I was ahead in school when I was, okay. in eighth grade, I, was, I was, I placed ahead in math and I was ahead of, of the classmates I was, I was in. And I was getting straight A's because I really tried hard. I was like, I want to get straight A's. I want to get good grades. I had like a, a really high GPA and stuff like that. And I think my GPA from high from middle school going into high school was like a 3.5 or something like that. I was like a really good GPA. And then freshman year high school, it went down to like a 1.8. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I have the exact same story almost. Yeah, a lot of people think because I always flash around my 1.67 GPA in high school because I wanted to make a point that, yo, you can start at the lowest point and still climb to the, to the highest mountain, right? Don't let other people tell you what you can or cannot do. But what people don't actually know is right before I had that 1.67, I had um, like a 3.4 or 3.5 and I had all honors and AP classes as a 3.4, 3.5. When I dropped out of those AP classes, then I had the 1.7. So I was taking hard classes with good grades and then easy classes with bad grades. And a lot of that was just like you. I was like, why am I even here? You know, and I almost did it to kind of like protest, if you will, to prove a point like this does not matter. You're teaching me nonsense, you know? And so it's kind of a weird thing. But for me, I, the reason why I took it upon myself to do that, though, was because my family all ran businesses and none of them actually went to college. And they're actually doing better than my other family members that went to college. You know, so it's like I would have family members that went to college and they're broke and the family members that didn't go to college and they're doing well. So for me, psychologically, brainwash wise, right? Like, um, logically they were saying, go to school, go to school, go to school. But what they were showing me was don't, you don't need to, if you don't want to, you know, it was like an option. So that's for me, that for me was when I kind of gradually just tapered off. 
I feel that. Yeah, I feel that. Cause that, you know, the thing with me was like, I didn't have any examples of that growing up. Like when I, when I didn't want to go to school, I was looking at my parents who were broke and they didn't have money and they didn't go to college and they were telling me the opposite of that. They were like, you know, I mean, they're actually not the opposite. They're telling me the same exact thing as, as your parents. I'm sure were telling you go to school. Cause if you, if you, and then for their, their message to me was go to school. So you don't end up like us. And that's what they kind of like try to instill in my mind at a young age. Uh, but from, like you said, like when you're sitting in school and you're realizing they're teaching you nonsense and like, you're like, how the hell is this going to apply to me in the future? Like, why am I here? Why am I sitting in this classroom? Why do I care about a grade, an A or B or C or D or whatever? Why do I care? And that's kind of the mindset I adopted in freshman year. So I literally went from having a really good GPA and caring about school, working hard, doing homework and paying attention in class to like zero effort, zero. Like it wasn't that I didn't think I could do it. I just genuinely didn't want to do it anymore. I was like, this thing is like. I don't, I don't care about this anymore. Like, it, this isn't my future. This isn't where I'm going to end up in my life. And I know I'm not going to care about this when I'm 30 years old, 40 years old. So why do I care about it right now? I'm going to mm-hmm. you know, do whatever I want right now. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to enjoy being young. And I know I'm going to make it somewhere in life regardless of what my grades look like right now. Yeah. Did you, did you have a lot of, um, I don't know how like uh, it is for you, like the people you know or your friends or family members or relatives, did you have a lot of backlash for your ideas or philosophies at that point? Yeah, I got a lot, I got a ton of backlash, dude. Like yeah. my parents were always like yelling at me for my bad grades. They're like super mad at me. They're trying to ground me. They're trying to take things away from me. They were trying to, you know, force me into trying hard in school. And I was like, at the time when I was that age, because I, I lived in San Diego, I wanted to be a pro surfer. That was my whole goal. I was like, I'm gonna be a professional surfer. I'm gonna be really, really, really good at it. You competed in I was, surf, right? I was yeah, I was pretty good at it. I got to a point where I was doing like surf competitions and stuff, and like it was really fun for me, but uh, I'm a, that's kind of like a, a later part of my story when I ended up moving away from that. But young age from, you know, eighth grade to like junior high to senior year of high school, I was just like training super hard in the gym, going to surf every single day, going to surf competitions, you know, hanging out with a bunch of surfers. And how, stuff. how many hours were you surfing a day? Dude, sometimes I would surf, I would go, especially on the weekends, if it was like a Saturday or Sunday, I would go to the beach from like seven in the morning to like 12 to two to three, depending on how how good the waves were and how long they were good for. I would sometimes stay at the beach the whole day, go home, eat lunch, come back and surf for the night too. So it's like Um, the the TV show Rocket Power. Have you seen that show? I haven't seen that show, no. Oh, you're too young. That's funny. (laughs) But but what is it? Would you say that that tenacity you had for surfing, right? The the willingness, the discipline to go out there and train. Would you say that applied in entrepreneurship? A hundred percent, dude. I would do some of the most like extreme stuff just to get good waves. Like I would train my literal ass off to go, you know, I would work out super hard in the gym. If the waves are bad. I would work out super hard in the gym. I'll get super fit. I would just push myself to my absolute limit. And then I would wake up before school sometimes and I would go surfing. And in the wintertime in, in San Diego, the water gets pretty cold. It gets like 55, 58 degrees and it's freezing cold. Especially if you go at six in the morning, it's like 50 degrees outside and then 50 degrees in the water. So you're yeah. freezing your ass off just trying to get some waves. So I'd wake up at four in the morning. I would go to the beach. It was like a 30 minute drive to the beach. I'd get there. I would surf right as the sun was coming up for like an hour and a half and then rush back home, go to school late. I was literally late to school for my senior year. I was late to school every single day. There was not one day. I don't think because you were actually- training, right? Yeah. Cause I was focused yeah. on my surfing. I was like, this is what I want to do. See- so like, this is something like I actually wanted to emphasize a lot on. Okay. Like a lot of people like right here, I I like the terminology that you, you use the word training. Okay. You're not out there messing around, just having a good time. Yeah. You love it. It's your passion. You're having a good time, but you're constantly trying to improve each and every single day. When you do that each and every single day, it doesn't matter what subject it is. It could be surfing. It could be dancing. It could be video games. 
if you actually go in there and you're trying your best to improve each and every single day, it's a lot easier to transfer that same tenacity to become successful in some other subject, which is business. If you were just, if you were to, to tell me that, yeah, I surf three days a week. It was a lot of fun. I miss it a lot. That to me would just be another hobby. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't transfer to entrepreneurship because how many surfers do you know that are probably better than you, but couldn't make it well in business or any, anything else? Cause they're just having fun. Right. That's I mean, it, and that's not to say that you weren't having fun either. You were passionate about what you did. Yeah, that is so accurate, dude. That's like a really good way to think about it too. Cause like, you know, most people, even in stuff they do enjoy, they don't push themselves that hard to really, you know, kind of improve themselves and, and grow past what they've, you know, got accustomed to. And that's one thing I never, I always kind of felt this urge to grow and whatever it was that I decided to do, I always wanted to, to grow and get better at whatever it was. Um, and that transferred later in my life to photography. I used to do something pretty extreme called rooftoping. Where you basically that was go, scary, dude. I've seen some of your dude. stuff on Instagram. That's scary. Honestly, be, I hope you're not doing that stuff anymore because that looks, that looks gnarly, dude. Dude, it was it was pretty insane. I, I asked I have some really crazy stories about, about explain that. explain to the viewers um what what it is first of all. So rooftoping is basically um, you go into any sort of downtown area with some skyscrapers, anything that's a any tall buildings basically, and you basically figure out a way to infiltrate the building. You get inside through whatever method you can find. You can go through the garage. You might find some other way to get in. You basically have to find your way past the security that's patrolling you know the first level and stuff. But get get your way by the cameras and stuff like that, and you, you basically have to take, uh, you know, you have to get to the top of the rooftop, and you have to usually because you know most rooftops they lock the they lock the rooftop door, so you can't get on the rooftop unless you have a key. So you have to figure out how to pick the lock for that door and then get on the rooftop. And then when you get on the rooftop, you just do crazy stuff. You walk on the edge, you take photos, you get the craziest stuff. Like you see the craziest views, and this is really really like passionate thing that I started picking up uh, senior year of high school. Um, I picked up a, a camera. And I got some friends and we all just started to go into downtown San Diego at the time and just sneak into some skyscrapers and just do some crazy stuff. Um, walk on the edge. I did some, I did some of the craziest stuff I ever did. I've almost died like a handful of times when like I was on the edge, I would slip and I would, you know, lose my balance for a second or, you know, I would trip over something on the rooftop and I would almost fall over. Or this one time, this is probably the craziest, craziest story that I've, I've, I've had to date. Um, Cause we used to climb cranes too in construction sites you know, the big cranes they have, like the construction cranes. So we'd sneak into the construction site and then we'd go up the building, climb over to the crane. Usually they have a platform, like a little bridge from the building to the crane. And so the way the bridge on the building is, it's never aligned perfectly with the platforms on the, on the crane. It's always at a different level. So you have to take, uh, so you have to climb your way into the crane. And then usually you have to climb down the backside of the ladder in, inside the actual crane. You have to climb down the backside of the ladder to the platform on the bottom so you can actually go around and then climb up the crane from the inside. So we were basically in this construction site. It was super late and I was like three in the morning and um, we go inside. We're on, I think it's like the 20th floor. We go across to the crane and I'm walking. Basically, I, I get inside the crane. I'm, I'm taking the ladder down the backside of the ladder. So it's like this, right? I'm going down the backside of the ladder and I didn't know this, but there's a giant hole underneath where I'm like, where I'm going. If I let go right there, there's a giant hole. I would fall straight through and I would be dead basically. So as I'm going down, I can see the platform to the right of me. I can see that it's right next to me. Like it's like probably a couple feet below where my feet are. And I'm not looking down because I have a backpack on my chest. And so I can't see what's underneath me in front of me. I can only kind of see what's to the right of me and what's to the left of me. And I can see that there's a platform right there a little bit, like I said, like two feet below where I'm standing on the ladder. 
And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, maybe to save a couple of minutes, because, you know, it's a painstaking slope crosses to climb down the ladder. I was like, I'll just jump down right here and I can go around and my friends can start climbing up behind me. So I'll save, you know, maybe 10, 20 seconds on this little, you know, on this little crane climbing experience. So as I'm thinking that, I'm like about to let go of the, 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 the ladder that I'm hanging on to. And something in my head is telling me now, just hold on a little bit longer, go down a couple more notches and then actually feel the platform before you let go. And so I listened to that little voice in my head and I was like, okay, I'm going to go down. I'm going to step on the platform before I let go of it. And I kept going down and I didn't feel the platform. I was like, what the heck? This is so weird. Where is the platform at? And I'm looking and it's almost at chest level with me. And that's when I realized there was nothing underneath me. If I had let go at the moment that my, that my head was telling me to let go, I would have fallen straight through that hole, 20 stories plus, and just been completely dead. And I was literally one decision away from that. Like one decision, one split second decision. If I just told myself to let go, I would have been dead. That's pretty crazy. Like that's yeah. pretty scary. Like, man. <laughs> so I mean, you're you were pretty much a risk risk taker from the start, oh, right? Yeah, huge. You weren't risk you weren't afraid. Oh, not at all, dude. I, I I got to a point a point in my head where I knew that the fear was irrelevant as long as I felt like I was fully in control of what I was doing. Uh-huh. And obviously, sometimes mistakes happen, accidents happen, but yeah. I felt super confident in my ability, and I tuned out the fear of falling, the fear of death, the fear of any of that stuff to the back of my head. And I was like, I'm going to just focus on what I want to do right now, whether it's walking on this crazy edge right now to get a crazy photo or whatever it might be. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this risk. And it kind of, it kind of paid off. I got a lot of good experiences, a lot of fun times. And it was a crazy adrenaline rushing period of my life. I still don't recommend it for you guys listening right now, guys. I don't either. Yeah, I don't either. (laughs) That sounds crazy. But yeah, so tell us about how you stumbled into um, Shopify and e-commerce and what we do right now. So originally when I first graduated high school, I wanted to go into real estate because I ended up going to this, this basically this like a real estate event. And I talked to this guy, he was like 35, 40, and he was a millionaire, he's a multimillionaire. And I was the youngest kid at the event. I was the youngest person at the event. And I remember going up to talk to him after the event. And I was like, yo, I want to do what you do, like teach me how you do it, blah, 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 whatever. I talked to him for a bit and he, he like looked at me. He was like one of the first people to ever do this to me in my life. But he told me, he was like, dude, you're the youngest person here. He's like, when you're, my, he's like, when you're any of, he's like, when you're the age of anybody else in this room, everybody's like 25, 26. He's like, when you're the age of everybody else in this room, you're going to be absolutely killing the game. Like you're going to be so filthy rich. And I'm going to know how much. Realize it. Yeah. And he was the first person to really like look in my eyes and tell me I could do something big like that with my life. Cause that's up until that point, it was my parents telling me go to college, do something small with your life, do the bare minimum to get by. He was the first guy that I actually looked up to who was in a place in, my, in, in his life where I looked up to and I wanted to be in that position at some point in my life, who told me, you can do it, you can absolutely do it, and you'll be really good at it whenever you try to do it. Did you, so when you attended this particular event, because I attended something like this similar to this back when I was like 22, though, I think, 21, 22, did you um, get backlash from family and friends for even attending these type of events? I didn't even tell anybody I was going to those events, to be honest. It was the only real event I went to, but... I remember after the fact, I came home and I was t- talking to my dad about it. And he was like, he was like, no, you can't do that. He's like, it's really competitive. He's like, it's a really tough industry. You have to get lucky to be able to make money in it. He was like, uh-huh. you're, you're, you might struggle for 20 years and not make a dollar. And I was just like, wow, like this guy over here, this millionaire over here is telling me I can do it in the next five years, 10 years or whatever. I can be rich. I can be at his level, you know, 20 years or 10 years before he is. And my dad's over here telling me I can't do it. I probably won't make it and I need to get lucky and all this stuff. So like that was the main backlash I got. He was very, 
very, very discouraging of any entrepreneur mindset stuff I had or any sort of entrepreneur ideas or anything like that. He was always shooting them down, always being like, oh, you got to get lucky or just discouraging me in any sort of way to kind of get me to, to not think like that. Yeah. I mean, just, just let that be a lesson to like all you guys listening to right, listening right now, like, um, especially the young ones, you know, don't let those type of things discourage you because you absolutely can do really well in any industry, right? You really, I mean, you don't even do real estate and this guy knew that you were going to do well because just the fact that you're that young and you're pursuing that type of education and knowledge. So if for all the young listeners right now, like if you're listening to this, you know, you, you will have, and I, I, I didn't say you might have, I said you will have family and friends, relatives, you know, when you go to Christmas parties or whatever, they're going to be asking you, so what are you doing? Are you going to college? And it's going to be one of those uncomfortable conversations where you're like, oh yeah, I met some guy at a real estate event. He said I could make it. You know, it's going to be an awkward conversation. And it's something that I had to deal with a lot um, when I was you know, younger, right? Um, I remember going to a lot of family events and there'd be those conversations where everyone's kind of talking about what they're doing. You're seeing relatives or cousins that you haven't seen in a long time. And I would be the one that would avoid those type of conversations because I knew negativity was going to come and I would just play with the little kids instead. You know, they'd be the group of really, really little kids, three, four or five year old kids. And I would just play with them instead and ignore the adult conversation because I knew like the adult conversation was going to slow me down from what I actually wanted to do with my life and that they did just, they just didn't understand. It wasn't that they're idiots or anything like that. It was just that they didn't get it um, from my perspective. And a lot of that could be because maybe their parents or their grandparents told them that, or maybe they got to you know deal with it throughout their lives. So now they're kind of speaking from experience to kind of just tell other people that maybe it's not for you either, you know? Yeah, that's the thing is like, when you, when you listen, you gotta be so careful who you take advice from. Um, this is one of the best pieces of advice I give to people is like, if somebody, no matter who they are to you, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if they're your brother, your mom, your dad, your relative, your friend, some random guy on the street, it doesn't matter who it is. If they are in a position in life that you don't want to be in, don't take their advice. Like, I, I hate to say this, but it, it's very true. It's like people in life, they're going to try to tell you what to do or how to live your life or whatever. And they're speaking from their experience, but their experience might be that they never made it. And they're trying to instill that limiting mindset on you and they're trying to you know force that on not maybe not force that but they're trying to you know tell you their perspective on it when they come from an experience of like you know not making it work or, or from a you know a, a negative experience of them trying to do something and not having it fall through um, for example like if you're going to school and your teacher who is supposed to be a business major or whatever you know he ended up in, in, in a place in his life where he's not running a business he's teaching other people how to run a business you know what I mean? That's his job. That's how he's making, he's making 40 grand a year teaching other people business stuff and teaching other people business advice when he's never made it in business. And nine times out of 10, if you, if you tell this guy, you know, I'm going to go start this business, he might, he might come at you with the energy of like, oh, I tried, it didn't work. You got to get lucky. You got to get, you know what I mean? Like a very negative kind of like limiting belief mindset where it's like, you probably won't make it work, you know? So yeah. be careful who's telling you advice and make sure you watch what their physical life, what their actual life looks like. And then decide from that point, okay, do I want to actually listen to this person? Do they live the life that I want to live or not, you know? Yeah. So, okay, with that being said, guys, okay, so we talked a lot about, you know, why business is good, kind of like pro-entrepreneurship and like anti-school, which, you know, is kind of not really what we're saying, but we're just saying pursue your dreams, pursue your goals. Not so mm -hmm. much, don't go to school, guys, you know, but that is true. That might be what we believe. But, dude, if, you're do if your thing is to go to school, go to school and crush smash you know get straight A's go to the best college do what you got to do but I wanted you to talk a little bit more about kind of like the darker side of entrepreneurship you know because we talked about the bright side 
You know, yeah. how hard do you actually have to work? Is it really as easy as these gurus are making it sound? Is it a get rich quick scheme? It, you know, does it cause a lot of stress and anxiety? Can you actually go broke from trying so hard and failing? You know, talk to them about that. So there is a huge dark side of entrepreneurship. There's a huge, huge, huge dark side of entrepreneurship. Just, just, like, just like everything in life, okay? There's nothing in life that you can just flip a switch or swipe up on and make money on. There's so much that you have to do, and it takes a lot of time, a lot of hard work, a lot of failures, a lot of hard lessons learned. Like, I didn't start making any real money in entrepreneurship until about a year and a half after I even started. Okay, I didn't make any sort of significant, I didn't have money sitting in my bank account that I was able to access on a daily basis and actually live the life I, I wanted to live until about a year and a half to two years into entrepreneurship. I didn't make, I didn't have, you know, hundred grand in my bank account, a million dollars in my bank account within three months. You know what I mean? Like people try to, to sell you on the dream. They try to, especially the gurus, especially the people who have something to sell to you, like a course or whatever. They try to sell you this dream of like, oh, just, you know, set up a Shopify store, run some Facebook ads and make money. It's not that simple. It's not that easy. There's so many things you have to go through when it comes to running an e-commerce store. You have to pay taxes. You have to sustainably run your e-commerce store. You have to consistently improve it. You have to constantly reinvest your money back into the brand. You have to do so many things to constantly continue to make that kind of money. A lot of people will set up a Shopify store. They'll make money for a month and then it'll completely fail the next month because they fail to continue to work on it because they think once they set it up with the ads and the system and whatever, it's going to continue to make money for the rest of their lives, which is absolutely not true at all. Yeah. Business, I always say, it's not a job. It's a lifestyle, period. Yeah. It's, a, it's a constant and never-ending improvement. It's a journey. You know, you start the journey and it's not, this is just what I do. It's I have to constantly improve on my journey and continue to figure out new ways and strategies to add value to the marketplace and continue to serve the people, my audience, my people. If the moment I stop serving them is going to be the moment they stop giving me money and that's when your business dies. Also, another thing, remember your business eats before you eat. You know, your business celebrates its birthday. It parties before you do any of that stuff. People think it's the other way around that you just make money off the business, but actually the business lives, um, it's, the business is almost like your child. You know, you end up treating it with so much care and love, which is why we'll get into this a little later when we talk about the riots and how these small businesses are getting wiped out clean um, from business owners, which actually breaks my heart because I, as a business owner myself, I know how much blood, sweat, and tears a lot of these guys are putting into their small businesses and they're just getting wiped out clean overnight. But I wanted to ask you, um, I wanted to go back to when you said you got started and for that first year and a half when you didn't make any money, were you still, when you consider the journey, right, the start of the journey, would you consider that the first day you um, started reading a book or the first day you attended the, uh, the event or was that the first day you, you pressed start on the Shopify store? And also, when you were doing that, were you still working part-time at the surf shop? So, I don't, I don't have a specific day in mind where I'm like, that's when I started entrepreneurship. Even when I was running a Shopify store, I didn't consider myself an entrepreneur. I thought I was just making money online. Yeah. I didn't want to believe I was an entrepreneur because I, I had this, like, this kind of like stigma against it where I was like, <laughs> uh, you know, because like the way social media portrays entrepreneurship, it's very like glamorous it's like this whole you know get get money and, and what i was just i didn't i didn't i didn't see myself as that type of person i was like i'm not an entrepreneur i'm not starting tesla i'm just running a shopify store it's two different things you know and so i didn't consider, consider myself an entrepreneur for a very long time honestly i do now but it took me a while to get to that point where i do consider myself that but even still so the point from you know graduating high school until making significant money i, I didn't quit my job for about a year and three months or so, it was about 15 months after I got my part-time job, I was able to quit my job because I was making some sort of money 
with Shopify enough to sustain a basic lifestyle of paying for my gas and continue to run the business. You know, I didn't make millions of dollars. I actually, so interesting story in my first year of e-commerce, um, we were, me and my uh, business partner at the time, we were able to scale a store to seven figures, but because we didn't really know how to run the business properly, we ended up losing like 95% of the money that came with that, you know, million dollars. We ended up losing the vast majority of it. A lot of it got held by the bank. A lot of it got held by paying processors. So we didn't have access to that money, even though we had worked hard for it. Kind of, kind of going a little bit back to, you know, the dark side of entrepreneurship. Um, this is one of those times where like we worked, like I don't even joke when I say this, I would get up at six in the morning and I'd go to the gym from six to seven and I would go to the Starbucks down the street from my house at around eight in the morning. And I would stay there from eight in the morning until 10 to 10 30 PM at night. They would literally be closing the Starbucks and be kicking us out. And we'd be sitting on our laptops outside the Starbucks connected to their free Wi-Fi, still working on our laptops at 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. I would go home. If there's still some more work to do, I'll work another 30 minutes or another hour, go to sleep, wake up at six, six in the morning the next day and do the same exact thing the next, next day over and over and over again. I cut out all fun. I cut out all surfing, skating, hanging out with friends for fun, doing all that stuff. I just worked. I just worked my ass off for like six months straight to actually make any sort of significant money with e-com. See, I, I actually appreciate you coming out with that story because dude, people don't think that they're, they're not, they're not going to understand that that's really what you have to do. I mean, it, it sucks to say that you have to kind of cut out your passions and the fun things in life, you know, especially at your age, you know, there's surfing is going to be fun. Partying is going to be fun. Drinking, looking for girls, the whole nine yards is going to be fun, but you had to decide, like, are you really interested in doing this or not? You know, that's the question. Like, you know, you, you have to ask that. And then another point I wanted to make too, um, you said the whole concept of entrepreneurship um, and the word entrepreneurship. Okay. See, I remember when I was coming up, when I was younger too, around your age and I was doing this entrepreneurship thing, entrepreneurship wasn't glorified when I was your age. You know, it wasn't cool yet. There was no Instagram kids. There was no Ty Lopez, Gary V Gary Vaynerchuk, who's one of the biggest advocates of entrepreneurship in this modern era. He only had like 50,000 subscribers on YouTube at that time. And he was considered really, really cool. Like if you knew about Gary V that meant it was almost like us right now, knowing Alex Becker or knowing Sam Ovens, they're low key guys but they're huge in our industry, you know, whereas now it's like everyone kind of knows them. So I personally don't think entrepreneurship is, um, is like, you have to make this much money. You have to do this. I think it's a mindset. You know, if you're one of those people that are willing to risk it all to build a business and you can't have a job, then that to me is entrepreneurship. hundred percent. And there's a quote that perfectly kind of embodies the whole mindset, which is like, if you don't sacrifice for your dreams, your dreams become the sacrifice. Yeah. And I understood from a very young age too. I was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can have fun right now. I'm young. I can enjoy being a kid. I can enjoy my surfing and my skating and whatever the, whatever I'm doing with my life, I can enjoy it, but I'm also not going to get to a point in my life where I truly, truly feel happy and fulfilled with what I do. I'm going to just prolong this mediocre level of happiness. I'm not going to really suffer that much. I'm not going to really be that happy. I'll be very comfortable. And that's one of the biggest things that I didn't like was I could see that in everybody in this world. They're, they're very comfortable. They're not in that much pain. They probably don't like their job, but they also don't really hate it. You know, it's a very bland kind of tasteless life where they're not really suffering. They're not really going through a lot of difficult times, but they're also not really feeling that happy or fulfilled on the other side, you know? So it's like one thing that I understood from a very young age was like, if you don't sacrifice for those dreams, they become the sacrifice at some point in your life. You're not going to get to that point where you have money. You're not going to be living the dream life that you want to live. 
And that's just the reality of what it is. Yeah, that's true. So let's try to take this step by step for the viewers right now. Okay. Talk to us about your first $100 um, as an entrepreneur uh, online. <laughs> this is a funny story. So um, I didn't even make my first $100 for about two months in, into e-com. I started my first store in January of 2018. And I made zero money with the first store, zero money with the second store. And then my third store. How are you getting education for this? I was just going on YouTube. I didn't have a course. I didn't have enough money to buy a course either. Actually, that's not true. I did buy a course. I bought Sebastian. Uh, Sebastian G's. He, he bought it. I bought his course. He had just got his GTR. He was about to buy his GTR, I think, at the time. And I was, like, looking up to him the most because he was my age. He had just graduated high school like I did. Uh -huh. And he was, you know, posting YouTube stuff about e-com. And he, he seemed very genuine. Like, it actually you know, seemed like he was being really honest with what he was doing. He wasn't trying to be like, Oh, I made 5k today. hundred percent of his profit. He'd be like, no, I made 5k today. And you know, 4k of it went to these expenses. Another 500 went to these. So I only profited $500 today. You know what I mean? He'd be very transparent yeah. with what he was doing. And so I liked that about his channel. So I watched his YouTube videos and up buying his course. It was like a hundred dollars or $200 at the time. And then I just started, you know, basically going through the course and, and every day, every spare moment I had that I wasn't at my part-time job. I'd be watching his course, watching YouTube videos, and then working on my actual store. Yeah. And then, um, so yeah, that was the first, it was like the first like two weeks I made one store. It took me like two weeks to make one store. Uh -huh. I ran my first Facebook ad ever. It was like a $5 a day budget. And to me at the time, I was like, wow, I have $50 in my bank account. So in What were you days, trying to sell? I was trying to sell um, the moon lamp. You know, the, the, the LED moon lamp, that, the 3D yeah. moon lamp? Yeah. I saw the first product I ever tried to sell. I saw it on uh, Overlow. I saw it on Overlow. And I was like, that's a cool product. Maybe I could sell that, you know? So I put on my store and I tried to run some ads. So I spent like five bucks a day on it, made no money at all. I remember actually tripping out that I had like four people in my store at, at the same time. I was like, whoa, I have four people in my store. That's so funny. <laughs> that's epic. Like, so dude, how, did, yeah. how did the first hundred dollars come about? Oh, dude, it was, it was basically almost two full months in. It was the end of February. Um, actually, I'll talk about the first sale I ever got first because it's actually kind of funny too. So the first sale I ever got, it was on my third, third store I started. I had spent probably about $600 uh, up until that point on ads and courses and, you know, Shopify payments and apps and all this random stuff. I'd spent basically every single dollar I had for my paycheck, I would just put it into the business. I'd put all of it in. I would not use any of it for myself except for gas to get to and from work. And that was yeah. it. I had enough time at the time to, you know, put money and, and time into the actual Shopify store. Straight so, hustling. Dude, I was hustling super hard. Yeah. Um, so my third Shopify store, I was trying to sell like, uh, I can't remember. It was like some sort of pen. It was like some sort of like interesting gadget pen or whatever. And I was doing a free plus shipping offer on it. And it costed me like, I think it was like 30, I think it was like a dollar to fulfill and ship. And I was charging people like $3 and 50 cents for shipping. So I was advertising as a free plus shipping and I spent like 30 bucks on ads and I got one sale. And I was so happy. I remember waking up and seeing a $3.50 sale. And that was my first money I've ever made online. Dude, I was, I was on cloud nine. I was oh my gosh. Mad. It was the best feeling ever. That's Dude. hilarious. See, that's, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of times too, it's funny that you say that, but that first sale took like several months to do. So I always say the first, like the first 10 grand you make is harder than the hundred K you make the first hundred K, you know? Because that first 10 grand is like years of studying and learning and not knowing what the heck is going on. Making yeah. that first sale, which is really like the one minute mark of a full, full game, you know, it's a minute, minute yeah. mark. And then finally, when you hit that first 10 grand, it, it feels better, right? You, 
you kind of remember it more than when you actually cross the 100k mark yeah 100 and i remember it was actually towards the end of that month because i got the first sale like in the beginning of february towards the end of the month it was my same shopify store actually i think and i had made i was like 200 i, I got like one order it was like 200 bucks and i think it was a fraudulent order but i didn't really care i was like wow 200 in an order this is crazy it takes me a week to make this much money and I ended up fulfilling it, making the money. I was like so happy about it. And then March, I ended up making like, I think it was like 5K in profit. Oh, and I remember having, dude, it was a lot. It was like the most money I ever had in my life in my bank account. I remember having two grand in my bank account at one time and going to fill up gas and thinking in my head like, wow, I can fill up gas and not have to worry about whether or not my bank account's going to go in the negative or not during this one. That is off. insane. I was so oh happy. Oh my gosh, that is insane. <laughs> That's funny, dude. Cause I remember those days like where I just remember being in high school and people asking you to pay them five dollar gas money. Remember? Oh. oh my gosh. And everyone's like, dude, I'm gonna go negative. And and literally, like you're just driving me down the street and back. <laughs> I gotta give you three dollars for gas, right? <laughs> like, and then here you are with like two, three grand in your bank account, like. Dude, I made it. <laughs> I felt like I made it for sure. I was like, wow. And actually, ironically, I quit my job after that. I had like three grand in my bank account. I was like, I'm You're done. a risk taker. You're all in. See, that's not something I would advise either. You know, 2K in your bank account. I don't know if that's enough to quit your job yet for those of you guys listening. But I mean, yeah. you're a risk taker, you know, like that. And for you too, like even if it fails, you can always go back to your job. So it doesn't really yeah. matter. So that's actually, that's actually kind of what happened. So I quit my job in March. And then the next month in April – I lost hundred percent of my money on ads, like everything I didn't make. I couldn't make another product work. I couldn't get another, another product to work. I lost all my money in April. So your 2k is gone. Gone. All of it. Wow. Down the drain. Yeah. And on top of no it, credit April, cards. No, I didn't have credit cards at the time. Um, you didn't it, have an LLC. You had no credit cards. You, you didn't even know what it was. You're just hustling. Yeah. I had no, <laughs> dude, no, no, no clue. I was so classic. Like, yeah, it was, yeah. So ended up losing, uh, quitting my job in March, losing the money in April, and then ended up having to drive for Postmates from May until beginning of June. So for an entire month, I was hustling my ass off to like get money from Postmates, driving like eight hours a day to make like a hundred bucks. Like it was, it was really- Just to feed your business, not to feed yourself, not to buy Yeezys, not to go out and buy you know alcohol, but to feed the business because the business got to eat first. Exactly. And that's what kind of like pushed me to the point of like getting back to a, not a, a job because I was working so hard. I was working all day to make barely, you know, 50 to 60 bucks. I was making way less than I was in my part-time job. And I was hating my life because I was having to drive all over San Diego, getting stuck in traffic, dealing with people who are just, you know, late or not on, you know, just like a bunch of, it's a huge headache. Driver postman is a huge headache. I only got one guy to really tip me. It was like, I think it was like 10 bucks. He tipped me like 10 bucks. And I was like, wow, this is, the only, like, this is the best thing ever. I was like, 10 bucks. I was like, so stoked on that because nobody really tips you when you drive for Postmates, uh -huh. um, which is interesting because now every time somebody delivers Postmates for me, I make sure I tip them as much as I possibly can because I know what it's like to be on the other side and not make any money and be barely making any money at all from Postmates. Um, so then in, in June, I ended up going back to my part-time job to try to fund my business again that way. From the same uh, surfing store? Yeah, yeah. They took me back. They're cool. Uh, so that was like friends with all the people there and they're like, yeah, we'll take you back. Like, you know, I was really good at my job too. I was a sales associate. I was really good at just talking to people and like yeah. making sales and getting people to, to spend money in the store. So they hired me back for that. That's good. And what, when did you get to the point where you quit again? Second time. Took me about four months. I think I quit in October of that year and it was a month before I moved to LA. So 
I had basically, I, I got my job back. And then in August, me and one of my friends at the time started a store together and we ended up finding like a golden product. It like just started selling from day one. Like day one, we hit 1K in sales off one product, which is like, we never had that happen before. It usually takes like four or five days, at least a week to scale up to 1K a day. The first so, day of ads, we had 1K. Slow this down for a second. In order for you to finally find that product that did 1K in a day, how many products would you say you have tested since the beginning of your life? Dude, at least like 150 or something like that. Like, it was a lot. It was a lot of products. It was, it was me testing products, my friend testing products. So together we probably had tested like three to 400 different products. And how many stores and hardships, right? So many, so many. Yeah, see, so a, a lot of people remember Napoleon Hill's book, Three Feet from Gold. You know, you got to keep pushing and working. That's not just to say testing products. I mean, just in, in life in general, you know, you got to keep pushing through it. You got to keep working. And dude, even me right now, um, I still go through these stages where I feel like, dude, what am I doing? Like, this is not working. I'm trying so hard still, and this is not working. But you got to keep roll, rolling with the punches. You know, Matt actually went out there and got a job again. Then he got another job. He went back, went back to his old job again and just kept doing these things until he finally struck gold with this, this um, product that did $1,000 in the very first day that he launched it. Yeah, so as soon as that product started taking off, I didn't quit my job right away again because I was like, I learned that lesson last time. This product could die off. I might, you know, lose the money again. So I'm just going to stay at this part-time job. So from August, we did like, we scaled it up to 10K a day within like two weeks. In two weeks, we were doing 10K a day. That was the first 10K day that me or my business partner at the time ever had to get like ever in the history of us either doing e-com, never hit a 10K a day. And that blew my mind. I was like, wow, like $10,000 in a day is insane. I've never seen this kind of money in my life. I've never even thought about the kind of money in my life. I didn't even know it was possible. Like it just blew my mind. It, it like completely changed the way that I viewed making money online. Cause I was like, wow, this is really, really possible. And then basically from August until end of October, we scaled it to seven figures. So we made, you know, about, it was like a million, 1.1 million in sales. And then we ran into some problems. We had a lot of chargebacks because, you know, AliExpress wasn't fulfilling the orders on time. We ran into so many problems with that. And so we ended up losing that business after we moved up to LA. So I quit my job in October and then we moved up to LA in the beginning of November, got an apartment out here. Uh, it was a really nice apartment with 27th floor. Uh, down here in, in Koreatown in Los Angeles. And um, literally like a couple weeks after we moved up here, we got our payment processor shut down, our Facebook ad account banned, uh, business manager banned, lost all the data. And then the payment processor ended up holding like all of the profit that we had. So we had like 150K in profit. They held all of it. So we were literally moved up to LA and I quit my job. I had forgot about the job completely. I was like, this is, we got, we made money. Like we're, we have 100K in the bank account now. We have money. We're good. Like we'll be able to pay rent. Rent was like 4K, 4,500 a month or something like that. It was like a lot of rent that I was paying. I was having to pay half that, which is like 2,200 a month was my half the rent. And I was like, wow, like I don't even, like, I didn't even know this was possible to make this kind of money. Then we basically have all the money held up and I'm forced to go back down to ground zero with like 2K in my bank account and having to figure out how am I going to make money again? Like, what am I going to do? Because it took me eight months to make that first product actually make money. And now um, I have bills. I have to, you know, at least make, 3k a month, which previously I was making a thousand dollars a month off my part-time job. So I had to go from making, you know, a thousand dollars a month working, you know, 40, you know, 80 to hundred hours a month to having a, to literally make 3k a month. Otherwise I'm getting evicted, you know? So it put me in a really tough position right away to like 
force myself to actually make some sustainable money for the first time in my life. Because up until that point, even the business we had that made a you know, million dollars, we didn't run it properly. So it ran into a lot of issues and getting shut down. The money was held and we went back down to ground zero, you know? Yeah. But when you guys went back to ground zero, you have to remember, you also came up on all these new skills and talents yeah. and techniques, you know, and also men mentally and your breakthrough in your mind saying, dude, I just did a million dollar store. Let's, let's run it back. Let's rematch, yeah. you know, with all these new, you know, now, you know, payment processors. Now, you know, about, um, AliExpress. Now, you know, about, you know, fulfillment issues, you know, so in Facebook ads, you probably quadrupled your skill sets. So 100%. one of those things when, you know, people, I even go through this, Matt's still going through this, everyone goes through this where you hit these roadblocks blocks and these walls and it feels like you did everything for nothing. That's what it feels like. You did all that work and you got nothing out of it, but really you're gaining a lot of experience, right? You learn from these mistakes, right? They say you don't make mistakes, mistakes make you. 100%. Hey guys, what's up? So I'm assuming that you're really, really enjoying this content right now because if you've made it this far into the video, you probably really love the content. So I'm going to be really fast with you here because I want to get you back to the content. How would you like to build your own online business? Not some get rich quick scheme or nothing MLM or network marketing where you actually got to go out and recruit people, but I'm talking about a real life e-commerce business that does not require AliExpress or, or any high upfront costs or techie skills. If you want me to show you how I was able to build my own online business and actually do multiple seven figures in sales with my Shopify stores, or also how a bunch of my students were also able to generate either their first dollar online up to even a million dollars online. If this is something you're interested in, if you're out there trying to figure out how to build your own Shopify store the legit real way and actually learn from someone who's have a proven track record as well as a bunch of students that have done the same, then after this call or this, this um, video that you're watching, you guys can click below in the description section um, and the link will actually take you to a free training that I created. And guys, it's not a fake, fake free webinar where I'm going to pitch you a $2,000 course or anything like that. It's actually just a free training. You guys can go ahead and check it out in the link in the description. If you're listening to this on podcast or, you know, some other um, channel where there's no link in the description, just go to www.peterchanjr.com forward slash ecom. Again, that's peterchanjr.com forward slash ecom. All right, so let's get back to the content because I know you guys are loving this content right now. Peace out. Yeah, so that's like one of the things I was going to tie into was like after learning, you know, the hard lessons that came with not making any money for so long, then making a lot of money in a short amount of time and then losing the money once again and going back down to ground zero, it gave me a very deep understanding of what it took to actually run an e-commerce store the right way. And that's when I started the brand that I have right now that I still run to this day that still makes me money every single month that has allowed me to continue living the life I want and actually, you know, buy my dream car and all that type of stuff. Um, I started that brand right after the first, uh, you know, the first million dollar store failed. I ended up starting that brand. And then that was, you know, that failure was what taught me how to properly run a business and how to actually make some sustainable money from that point on. Yeah. See that guys that, you know, I'm so happy I actually had you on this call to like, do, and we had like a lot of technical difficulties and stuff. I was yeah. like, man, if we had to postpone this, that would suck. But dude, this, this story for sure. It's like, it's one of the stories that I think a lot of people need to go out there and hear because they think, you know, they see a young, young kid. How old are you? 24, 23, 21. 21. Okay. So you just started drinking alcohol and stuff like that. Right. So <laughs> funny. They see this young kid, he's 21 and he has like a GTR and he's like living in LA, which is like every kid's dream to like move to LA. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what they didn't see is the stories and the risk that you took beforehand, right? The, 
the the willingness, especially when you're young. Okay, a lot of you guys listening, right? Especially for those of you guys that are young, you can always go back to college when you're 30. Or you know, who cares what other people think? Or you're going to college at 30, like who cares what they think, right? From 18 to 30, pursue your goals and dreams. Do you want to be a rock star? Go get it. There's never been an easier moment in life in the history of human beings, right? Because of the internet, because of social media, there's never been an easier moment in, in the history of humanity where you can actually go out there and do whatever the heck you want. Okay, Justin Bieber was founded on the internet. Okay, you have all these catch me outside girls. She was founded on the internet. Okay, go pursue your goals and your dreams. Do what you want. A lot of this stuff is 100% real and is facts, which is why I created this podcast in the first place. I, I took the time out to actually look back at my life and said, if I'm, if I die, right. And I'm remembered for being a t-shirt seller or an e-com person, then that means I failed at life. Okay. I don't want to be remembered as just that guy that sold t-shirts. Okay. You guys know Kobe Bryant, he was not known as just a basketball player, right? He, he was known for way more than just that. And that to me is why I started this podcast because I kind of wanted to show the world that these people that I interview, these, these, um, entrepreneurs, these make money online guys or whoever else that I decide to interview, you know, cause it's not just limited to internet marketers or entrepreneurs, but they're literally regular everyday people that do extraordinary things, ordinary people that do extraordinary things. And sometimes that does require, um, the ability to go against the current, to do something that not everyone else, conventional wisdom will, will advise for you to do. Um, I wanted to segment, uh, kind of like this call, the rest of this call to kind of just um, cause right now we're, we've been on for, I want to say almost an hour now. And I know, you know, you're a busy person. I want to get you off here soon, but I want to, you know, maybe segment the rest of these 30 minutes, 20 minutes to talk about kind of like current events or things that's kind of going on, um, whether it's in the world, in our industry and things like that. So what, um, we, we were going to do, and I do this with almost everyone I talk to, um, I usually name like a subject or something, a topic, and we kind of just talk about it and we'll move on to another subject type of thing, kind of like a round Robin. Okay. So the first one, let's talk about your GTR, man. <laughs> yeah, that's been my dream car since I was like 10 years old. Since I first started looking at cars, I remember like my older brother, like he was looking at like an Audi R8. He's like, that's my favorite car. I want to get that car one day. And I was like, that's cool. You know, I like that car too. And I was looking at Lamborghinis, looking at every other car in the world. And then I literally just fell in love with the GTR because I was like, this car is a beast. It looks so sick. Like it's so fast. And like, How old were you at the time? I was 10 years old. That was the 10 first. 10 years old, okay. Yeah, 10 years old. And so from that point in my life, I always knew in the back of my head I was going to get a GTR. I was like, I don't so care. 2008 GTR you were looking at? Uh, 2000, yeah, it was like 2009. 2009 so it just came out. Just came out. Just Funny. came out. Like the first, yeah, like the first year it ever came out. And I was like, that's the car I want to get. Like, that's my dream car right there. I'm going to get that car one day. Uh-huh. Um, I just didn't know when it was going to happen. I was like, whether I'm 30, 40, 50 or whatever, I'm going to own that car one day to do that. And so... Obviously, when I first graduated high school, it's interestingly enough, when I first graduated high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. That was the one thing in my, in my head that I could think about. That I was like, I want that. How can I get that? Uh -huh. You know, that's what actually kind of drew, uh, drew me to entrepreneurship and making money online was the fact that I could see other people making money online, driving that car. And I was like, okay, if I can make 10K a month and drive the car, I'm cool with that. I want to, I want to be able to at least, you know, make that kind of money and live that kind of life. And I'll be happy doing that. And that's what first inspired me and motivated me to get the GTR took about two years, two and a half years before I got it, but it was well worth every single second of, of work and every dollar spent to get to this point in my life where now I have my dream car and I'm super happy with it. It's literally the exact kind of, you know, GTR I want. I got a yeah. crazy good deal on it too. And yeah, it's been amazing. It's been so fun to drive. 
yeah, for, for those of you guys that don't know, um, we might have pictures on here or, or whatever, but Matt has a, I want to say 2016 GTR. Um, yeah. it's, it's fully wrapped. The wrap is really, really nice. Like black, some kind of shade of black or gray, right? It's a, it's a matte black wrap on it. Yeah. Uh, I have crazy uh, work done to the car. It has like a full tune, you know, E85 flex fuel kit done on, done on it. Intakes, downpipes, exhaust, everything's done to it. Super loud. Uh, it's crazy fast. It's like 650 wheel horsepower right now, which is like the fastest car I've ever driven in my life. What's the fastest you've ever gone on it? I hit 170 in the freeway. Like, oh my god, <laughs> dude, that's funny because you've already had this GTR for like less than a month, and you already passed what I've hit. I want to hit like 150, <laughs> you know. And I had mine for almost two, three years now. But yeah, it's funny because when I, I remember when I first met you, um, I showed you my GTR, and you were like, "Whoa, one day, dude, I'm gonna get this really soon." And fast forward like a year, year and a half later, you, you, I see you on Instagram, and you have one that's faster than mine. So yeah, it was pretty funny. Like, yeah, for me, like. Is there anything you want to say about, because I know a lot of people on here, especially like the guru slayers, right? These yeah. kids are buying GTR, just wasting money and all that. You know how people say that. What does a GTR or a, a, not even a GTR, but like a car, you know, what does it actually mean to you? It's so much deeper than just a car. It's been a goal I've worked so hard for. It represents years of like work, uh, pain, sacrifice you know, difficult times, doubt, you know, fear, just all these things that I've had to push myself through, all these obstacles I have to put myself through to get to this point in my life where I'm truly happy with my life, I'm truly fulfilled. I'm, you know, starting businesses I genuinely love and I'm, you know, on the path in life that I've, I know I'm supposed to be on. And so it just represents kind of like a milestone of like, like, you know, that's what I've worked for in a sense, but I'm working for, it's obviously now it's something way bigger than just a car now, you know, like, Cause at the end of the day too, like the GTR was the only materialistic goal I had. Like I don't, I don't buy designer clothes. I don't care about that stuff. I don't care to go and spend money at the club and just, you know, waste money on stupid stuff. I save my money. I invest it back into my business. And the only time I really spent money on myself was getting the GTR. That's the only time I really, you know, dropped some money like that. Yeah. See, I, I agree. I, I know there's a lot of like, it's really hard for me to try to get this message across to people, but when you go out there and you get something, you accomplish something that's very, very difficult to do. Okay. I like to think about it like this. Okay. When an NBA basketball player works his entire life since he was two years old to finally win an NBA championship, it's not the ring that he wants. He doesn't care about the ring. Okay. The ring is, he makes so much more money than what the ring is, is cost. Okay. The ring could be a million dollar ring. It doesn't matter. He has way more money than that. It's what the ring represents, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the fact that this little boy at one point can set a goal and a dream miles and miles away. And that little boy can grow up to a man that can accomplish those goals and dreams. You know, for me, my GTR represents a long, long time ago when my dad said that he first came to this country, he hopped on an airplane, landed here. His cousin picked him up at the airport and he saw a Corvette. Okay. He asked what it was. Is it an Italian car? You know, and one day he wanted to get it. And fast forward, like 20 years later, he was able to get his Corvette. Now me, I grew up middle-class and that was the first time ever, like in my neighborhood, there was a Corvette. Oh my God. Oh my God. A Corvette, you know? So that made me, and at the time, you know, I'm a little younger than you. For me, it was the R34 that was more attractive, you know, and R35 wasn't invented yet. So Crazy. the old school skyline watching um, Paul Walker and too fast, too furious playing initial D I was like, I want that car. You know, dad, my car can be your car one day. Just wait. When I get it, we're going to raise my cars faster than yours. You know, and my dad had a 2000 Corvette, you know, so it's not like anything fast nowadays only has 300 horsepower. But at the time it was really, really fast, you know? 
So yeah. fast forward how many years later, you know, um, for me, it took me till I was 25 years old when I was finally able to get the GTR. And that's really what it meant for me. You know, um, reality is wrong, right? Dreams are for real. And that really changed my entire paradigm of like, dude, you have this kid who had a 1.67 GPA in high school who was told by his teachers and, and principals and whoever and all his family members that he wasn't going to be able to amount to much. And now he's able to accomplish something that he set his mind to. Um, and that just helps me even till today. Like no matter what, you know, and guys, don't let the internet fool you. There is a dark side to entrepreneurship. Okay. We stress every single day with our businesses. We, we're always busy. We're always trying to figure out ways to get our employees paid. We're always trying to figure out ways to serve our customers. You know, we go through a lot of things, but when I go through those hardships and I think about what these hardships is going to help me learn and, and build in the future, you know, that's to me is what, uh, a dream car, quote unquote, it doesn't even need to be a car. It could be anything that signifies that goal, that dream. Okay. So that to me is what the car actually symbolizes a dream, you know? And, and the fact that you have in a GTR, I'm sure you've already experienced this, but you get kids, adults, people all over all the time that contact you and tell you, wow, that's my dream car. Wow. Yeah. That's so inspiring. Wow. Yeah. That's something I want to do. And that to me means more than having the car itself. The fact that other people can now look to you and look to your car and be like, wow, now I got to like, now that's belief for me to actually go get it. You know, it's funny, like with the GTR, um, I kind of know how it feels like now to be like a really attractive girl, because I feel like every guy in the world looks at you when you're in your GTR. Now <laughs> you're like, bro, come on, man. Like, can I drive in peace? You know, like, it's pretty fun. Did you, did you experience that too? Oh, dude. Yeah. Especially since my GTR is super loud. If I go roaring down the street, everybody looks, everybody turns heads. At gas stations, everybody's, you know, people stop me all the time. Like, dude, your car is, you know, super sick. Like, it's always drawing looks and stuff. It's, it's cool to see the appreciation of other people, you know, when they yeah. see cars. One of my friends has a McLaren, and it's funny because he has a GTR too, but it's funny because, like, we'll go to places, and, and sometimes the GTR will get more love than even the McLaren does because of, like, the, yeah. the real passionate audience the GTR, like, community yeah. has. It's really, you know, it's really big, and, and people really love that car, and so – yeah, I, I agree. I, I, this one time I was like hanging out somewhere and this little kid comes in and says like, first he goes like, dude, would you ever get some other car? He was like, oh, is that your GTR? Would you ever get some other car? And I was like, no, I kind of like the GTR. Yeah. He's like, good. Don't get anything else. It's the only one. <laughs> At first I thought he was going to talk about like a Lambo or something, you know, but he was like, no, 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 don't, don't get anything else. But yeah, let's go ahead and move on to the next thing. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about the status of e-commerce right now. So e-commerce right now, um, it's going to a place where it's like the old standard of doing the bare minimum to make money is fully out the window. Now you can't just, you know, I mean, you can still have a general store and make money, but it's not going to sustain very long. It's not going to last very long. And if you really want to build a successful e-commerce store, which in my opinion, a successful e-commerce store is a brand that consistently makes money consistently improves its service, makes people happy. And um, it's able to be sold at some point in the future for, you know, a certain seven figure, eight figure exit which is obviously the goal of my brand. I want to be able to exit in, in a year to two years for either multiple seven figures or eight figures at, the at whatever point I'm, I'm deciding to sell it. Um, and a lot of people, they're, they're just looking to get rich quick. They're not really looking to sustainably build a business. They don't really love business the way that I believe a true entrepreneurship, uh, a true entrepreneur should love business. Um, they're just doing it because it makes money and because it's easy and whatnot. And a lot of people are kind of scamming people. So there is a, a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths right now of like what it's like to buy from a traditional e-commerce Facebook ad seller. Um, and if they, you know, it's only a matter of time if you are running a business like that where you drop ship your products, 
and you don't, you know, have inventory and you're not you know, improving the service and stuff. It's only a matter of time before you get, you know, enough bad reviews or chargebacks or negative feedback from customers. Uh, so your business gets shut down and you're not going to you know, be able to make money anymore. So uh, e-commerce is definitely moving towards more of a, uh, sus- not sustainable, but a, a, way, a way more improved version of what it used to be. Every year the, the standard gets raised higher and higher and higher and higher. And like I said, now, you know, tw- stuff that used to work in, in 2017 or 2018, just not going to work anymore. You know, you can't just have a store, have AliExpress connected to it and drop ship your products for a year to two years and make as much money as you want. That'll work for a short period of time, but you're going to end up with a lot of unhappy customers, a lot of chargebacks, a lot of negative reviews, and you're not going to be able to consistently make money after that point with that store. So for anybody who's starting e-com, I fully recommend you actually focus on one product, one brand, and just work to improve that as much as you possibly can. And don't be chasing the next trend, the next fad, the next this, the next that. Focus on what you have, focus on your brand, and consistently, continually improve it. And that's the only way you're really going to be able to consistently last for, you know, the next coming years. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, branding, I think, is one of the main things now, whether you're going to do a subscri- subscription model or you focus on building up your social media accounts and also focus on, like, using different um, traffic generation methods. You know, there's YouTube, Snapchat, there's so many different ones. But just to try to rely on Facebook's algorithm to sell that one product and then if it dies, sell another one and then it's all gimmicky stuff and there's, like, Chinese labels you know, that to me is, it's just like, I mean, definitely, there's definitely still people like making millions of dollars a month doing that same method, but just know that they're not doing it because they're getting lucky. They're doing it because they have 50 people on their team testing a hundred products a day. Like, you know, they have actual full operations doing it. There's only a couple people that I know that are making significant money with, with a traditional dropshipping store. And even they told me it's, it's not sustainable. Like they, they're moving into fulfillment from the U S you know, inventory, uh, China-based fulfillment as well, uh, just to move away from the traditional thir- three-week to four-week delivery times that everybody else is dealing with because customers don't want to wait that long to get a package they ordered. They want to get it in two days. They're used to Amazon now. Amazon has one-day delivery, two-day delivery. They're not going to be willing to wait two weeks or even three weeks, four weeks to get their order. They want to get it as soon as possible. So if you want repeat yeah. customers, you want a lifetime value of your brand, you want to be able to sell your brand, you got to actually improve it, have inventory, and or at least fulfilled from the U.S. You know, there's a lot of people that there's lots of suppliers that are actually located in the U.S. that have and offer U.S. fulfillment as well. So choosing a product that allows that, you know, is also a good way to, to kind of get your get your foot in the door and really build something that's going to sustain for the long term. Yeah. So next subject, we'll talk about a question, actually. If you want to build a business, should you go to college? No. Where should you get your education? Self-education is the only way to make it work. Get a mentor, find somebody on YouTube who's making money, talk to them, make friends with them, get out and network, go to events, just meet people who are doing, you know, in a better position. Even if, even if the guy you talk to is making 10 K a month with his Shopify store, he's ahead of you. Talk to him, get to know what he knows. You know what I mean? Like network with people like that who are even one step or two steps ahead of you. And that's going to help you accelerate and actually build something. It's going to take a while too. Like don't think that, you know, even if you start right now, you're going to make money this year. You probably will make money this year or you might not make money this year. It's not a guarantee at all. But to really build something massive, it takes a very long time. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's the, the concept of even if you like the, the concept of learning um, by being a practitioner, not dropping 40, 50K to learn from a book, you know, exactly. from a teacher. For, you, it, 
I rather instead of dropping 50k on you know four years, you could just spend one year and drop 1k on ads, and then you'll learn about ads. Yep. Period. You know, 1k on ads that that 1,000 dollars is going to teach you more about Facebook ads than 40,000 dollars ever will on any sort of marketing class or you know um, in college and in four years, right? So and that's that's to say that's not even me mentioning the free content that's out there on YouTube on Udemy that you can buy for 13 dollars for courses or to go out there and network with friends or to go out there and, and attend conferences and talk to people that alone already beats college. But imagine practicing, right? Imagine dropping 10 K on multiple businesses and having them all fail. You're going to learn more from that 10 K failure in one year or two years than you will in four to six years dropping a hundred K in college. That is 1000% so true. Mm -hmm. Um, so, well, okay, another personal question I want to ask you, actually, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, yeah. Did you end up building an LLC, and do you have credit now? Yeah, so I built, yeah, I have an LLC. I've been having this LLC for about a year and a half now. Uh, for the same brand that I've been running, I run everything through credit. I have. Okay, there you go. That's all I wanted to know. <laughs> because yeah, you, the way you, it's funny, dude, that your story is very similar to mine, because I didn't start paying taxes. Um shoot, I don't know if I can say that, but uh, I didn't start paying taxes until a little after I started making money when I found out that you had to pay for taxes. Because someone was like my CPA or I talked to a CPA for the first time. This was after I've already like started making some money. He was like, no, 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 no. You have to pay for last year and the years before and the year before too. Like you forgot. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? LLC, what's that? I have to get that? You know, so I, I need credit too. I was every, doing everything cash. Okay. I, my first a million, my first million dollars in revenue was done through only cash, no, no credit. So imagine yeah. all the missing points I, I missed out on, you know, <laughs> it's kind of depressing thinking about it, but that's almost 30 grand worth of free yeah. things I could have. But that's <laughs> yeah. like a lesson learned, a $30,000 lesson that I yeah. learned. I should have been using credit. Yeah. Yeah. Credit is so solid, dude. I, I was able to take my whole family uh, to vacation for, uh, to Hawaii. Um, I paid for it with, you know, credit card points. I didn't really spend any cash on it. I spent some cash on it, but it wasn't as much as it would have been if, if I didn't have credit card points from literally just like a month of running ads. Like one month of running ads, I was able to take my whole family to vacation. And then I was able to go to Hawaii again by myself with my girl at the time. I was able to go to Hawaii and, you know, for another two weeks. Um, so that's what I love about running, you know, a business like this. Like you get to access benefits and rewards that most people don't get to, you know, access because they don't spend, most people don't spend 100K a year. I spend like over 100k a month on my business. So imagine the amount of points I'm stacking up every single every single day, every single month. Yeah, by running my business to credit, it's insane. And, and it's one of those things where people think like people think that you you're losing this money on ads. You're not because the money actually rotates itself. You know, so for, let's say you give Facebook a dollar, but Facebook gives you two dollars back because they're, they're you're making sales on your store. So now you can take that two dollars and put it back into Facebook, and now Facebook's going to give you four dollars back in, in revenue, right, from selling products from your store. And so on and so forth. So a lot of you guys that might be scared to run Facebook ads or um, any type of ads, right? A lot of times, these ads—it's not like um, a movie, a movie commercial or a movie trailer where you pay a thousand dollars and then you see the results three years later. You actually see the results tomorrow from the ads, from the money that you spent. You know, and a lot of times, um, big. The more you spend with Facebook, the more credit you have with them, so you can actually spend money without actually paying them first. So it's one of those things where like, I, I don't know what your limit is for me. My limits are always really low because I always have to keep making new business accounts and managers and stuff like that. But it could actually go up pretty high to where people spend like thousands and thousands of dollars a day before paying Facebook and then pay, um, 
and then they can pay Facebook with the revenue they've generated. Yeah, definitely. So um, yeah, I've been spending. Uh, it depends. I, I was at a point I was spending like fifteen k a day on Jeez. Facebook ads. Uh, you know, so that was generating a lot of. of and the only way I was able to do that was through credit too, because a lot of my credit cards, my debit cards uh, from my bank, they only have like a three k a day limit. And so I would have had to have like 10 different bank accounts or like five different bank accounts to be able to withstand that amount of ad spend. And the only way, the only way I was able to do it was actually running uh, everything through a credit card. Amex? Amex and I have Capital One. Um, I have two Amex cards and then a Capital One card. I have a Chase card too. Chase Inc? Um, yeah. No, I don't have Chase Inc. I have another one right now. I'm going to get okay. the Chase Inc. Soon, so. Yeah, he has a Chase Inc. Okay, so the next subject we'll talk about before we get you off here. Talk about the COVID-19. What do you think about that? It's uh, nobody's talking about it anymore, man. They're <laughs> talking about protests. Nobody, nobody even thinks about it. I never personally really cared about it. I always kind of like wasn't scared of it. Like I, I know enough about it to understand that even if it, I did get it, I probably wouldn't die from it. And the death rate is exactly the same as the, the regular flu. Because there's there's a lot of people that are uh, coming out and basically speaking on the fact that they're overcounting the deaths. And they're under undercounting the amount of cases that actually exist in the world. And so when you add those two together, the death rate goes from 2% that they say it is to 0.1%, which is like the exact same as the common flu. And even people, some people in the World Health Organization are saying that the coronavirus might become just one of those flu viruses that goes around every single year. And some people get it, some people don't. Uh, I'm not personally scared of it at all. I think that they did way too much by shutting down the country. And I think it's all sort of part of some crazy conspiracy theory, you know, the fact that the coronavirus happened for two months and nobody was working, right? Nobody, they're all sitting at home, right? And now they still don't have jobs. They still don't work. But there's a reason to go out and protest. There's a reason to go out and riot. There's a reason to go out and loot and do all these things, right? People have been sitting at home for two months not working, and now they have a reason to go out. They have a reason to let their you know, craziness out. And I feel like it's like a perfect plan from whoever the hell is running this stuff or instigating all this stuff, the media and everybody around it. Uh, it's just this plot to like get some more control and enforce some new rules and just change the way that the, the, the economy's run, the world's run right now. Like, I don't, I don't think this is, this is a, a coincidence. The fact that nobody's talking about the coronavirus now, like it just nobody cares. Everybody's standing in, in crowds of hundreds of, of people and thousands of people. And they don't even think about the virus. They don't even care that there's so many people crowding around them that if, if one person had the virus in the entire crowd, another thousand people would have it by the end of the day. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so that's what, that's what throws me off about. I just don't think that it, I don't think it's something that people should be scared of um, at all. And the fact that they have instigated everything perfectly just tells me there's something else going on. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's something else going on. Yeah. So did you, did you think the, the lockdown was a little in a, like too excessive? I think for sure it was, I think shutting down the economy and, and firing people and, 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 you know, taking us down that road was just, it was unnecessary. It didn't have to go down that way at all. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think about everything going on? Um, I mean, in terms of COVID-19, it's weird because the science changes so much on it. And for me, I'm like one of those paranoid people where um, I, I, I would read stuff and I would get paranoid about it. And then I would read stuff again. And I'd be like, dude, it's totally fake. And then three days later, I'd read it again and be like, oh, no, no, look, we're all going to die. You know, like there was a, there was like maybe three or four days where I bunkered myself at home and I would watch like zombie movies, like World War Z, I Am Legend. And I was like, dude, it's humming. We're all going to die. And then literally three days later, I would watch videos that counter uh, the virus. And I was like, dude, this is totally like 
BS. You know, so it's one of those things where um, I, I feel like this is the kind of the messed up part with the philosophy I have. I feel like science um, is almost an opinion nowadays because every expert will tell you something different. You know, I've gone to like five different doctors for the same symptoms and they all told me different answers one time. Right. And it's all within the same week. I went to five different doctors, five different hospitals. They all said, no, it was this. The other one said, no, it was that. And then same with the coronavirus, where it's like you hear stories about people getting, you know, in a car accident and it's like he died by coronavirus. You know, what about this recent tragedy with George Floyd? Did he die from Corona too? Is that what it is? You know, it's just like, dude, like what, where, how, who, what, what's right and what's wrong? You know, what's really the right message in terms of shutting down the economy. I don't know if that's really the game plan to go about things because I feel like that actually in the long term causes more harm than good. Even if you're going to give us stimulus package, I I think it's kind of, um, you know, I I don't know if that's the right strategy to go about things. Go ahead. The thing is too, it's like, okay, so say for example, the coronavirus is exactly as bad as they say it is. It's as deadly as they say it is. Right. And it was absolutely necessary to shut down the economy the way they shut down the economy. Right. How come we're reopening now? How come states are going fully open? How come there's no more, you know, regulations? There's restaurants in LA that you can go and sit down and you can eat at. What was the point of shutting down in the first place? And now we're reopening when it's worse than it was when we first shut down. It's way worse than it was when it first shut down. There's a million and a half cases in the U.S. right now. When it, we first shut down the economy, there was like barely like 10,000 or 20,000 or, or how, maybe like 100,000 when we first shut down, right? How come now we're reopening everything when the virus is still it's way worse than it was originally, but like apparently now we just don't care anymore. Apparently now we can just reopen again. Like if it's yeah, really well, that bad, how do not say shut down forever? Yeah. Well, actually, it's actually not as bad as it was um, before. And I'll give you kind of like a breakdown of why it's happening like that. So in the beginning, it would curve up, right? It would go right. up. The goal is not to kill it. The goal is to flatten the curve because they're afraid that everyone's going to get it and they'll charge the hospitals, which is going to give, which is going to make it. So if Absolutely. you had a heart attack, you can't go to the hospital. If you had a broken finger, you can't get a surgery. That's what they were scared of in the beginning. But then what they started finding out is no one's going to the hospital. It's empty. You know, doctors are getting laid off. Nurses are getting laid off. Okay. Maybe we can open up the economy. And also what a lot of people don't understand, and this is where the fear mongering comes in play. You know, if you were to get coronavirus right now and you live, right, you're a young, you're a young um, person, you're athletic, you did surfing and stuff like that. You're probably going to live. If you live, you don't have coronavirus anymore. Instead, you're going to have antibodies and you can't spread it anymore. You know? So if it says 1 million people has it and 800,000 out of that 1 million had it a month ago, it's not 1 million people that has it. It's 1 million people that have had it, but really only like 200,000 people have it. Currently, Eventually that 200,000 is going to go to 100,000, you know? So theoretically you can say you going out, like all these protesters going out, you could theoretically say that they're spreading the antibodies as well, right? Because then that's going to make it faster and eventually coronavirus, you know, it's just like the flu, right? Not everyone has to have the flu for, um, for the vaccines to naturally create itself because now we all have it. So a lot of people can't spread it anymore because they already have it, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's also fear, fear mongering. Like, yeah. When you look at the numbers and it says 1.7, it sounds scary, you know, but really it's not 1.7 million. It's more like 100,000 people or 50,000 people. And those 50,000 are already quarantining themselves, you know, because they know they have it. Whereas the rest of the people already had it and they're actually antibody. They don't, they can do whatever they want now. You know, I see, I see. that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, makes sense. 
let's move on to the next. And, and it is true. Like restaurants are opening. People are doing regular things now. And yeah. um, they're doing more than regular things, apparently. So we'll move on to that slowly. Okay. Because that's like the more, I want to go in order of a timeline. Yeah. You know, let's talk about the racism in the USA. That is something that really, really angers me and makes me sad that it even exists in the world still. Um, it's something that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a white person. I'm, I'm white. You know, I'm not, my background is, so my mom is Russian. My dad's from Iraq. So it's like two different, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't consider myself American white. You know what I mean? I'm, I have, I look white. I look like I'm from America. I look like I have. Do they speak um, Russian? I understand. I don't really speak it that much. Oh shoot! Okay, and then and your your dad is also Russian, or? No, my dad's from our, he's from the Middle East. So you're so, you're you're half. Yeah, I'm half Middle Eastern, half half Russian. So. Oh okay. For me, yeah, for me, like I look white. That's like people assume I'm white. I talk like I'm white. You know what I mean? I don't look like I'm I'm any other race. Other than and you white. surf and skateboard and stuff. And I surf and skateboard exactly. So, yeah. So. For me, I don't experience, I have, I have, you know, the white privilege or whatever that people talk about. I'm, I'm white. I have white privilege, right? So I don't know what it's like to get pulled over by a cop and literally fear for my life. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know what that's like at all. Um, so it's, it's tough for me to speak on it because I don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand what it's like to feel that way, but I understand because I'm, I'm a human being. I'm empathetic. I can understand, you know, other people's perspectives. I, it makes me really, really sad and really, really angry to see that it, it actually exists in the world still. And there's people who actually think that way and who really believe that it's okay to think that way or actually even act on it. Like I've seen so many videos of like, you know, people who are just filming, you know, some, some sort of guy and they're like calling the cops on him because he looks like he's an illegal immigrant or whatever. And they're just like, the police need to come here right now and deport this guy. It's like, dude, that is so incredibly messed up. Like, how do you even like live with yourself when you think like that? Like what, like, it's just ignorance. It's like extreme, extreme ignorance of like, your mind is probably the size of a grain of like rice. Like you're that, like you're that ignorant in your own mind that you can't even understand that there's other human beings just like you who feel the exact way you do. And because of the color of their skin doesn't mean they're acting different than you. It doesn't mean they think different than you and they should not be treated any different than any other race, any other, anybody on, or on the face of the earth. Like we're all one race. We're all the human race. We're all exactly the same in every single way, shape and form. It doesn't matter what we look like. That shouldn't change how anybody gets treated, you know? Yeah. Um. Did did would you did your dad have to go through any racism for being Middle Eastern? So when my dad moved to the U.S., the my family's my dad's family side changed the last name of the family to basically kind of avoid that. So wow, that's actually pretty smart. It's sad that they had to do that. But that's yeah. actually kind of smart. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise I would have had a name a very Middle Eastern last name, whereas my name is Thomas. You know, it's like yeah. a very generic, bland, boring name. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, like I don't have any. I don't have a history of myself that's like, you know, still embedded in me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. I mean, um, so my point of view too, it's exactly like you were saying, you know, I'm not black, so I wouldn't know how it feels. And in terms of my relationship with the, with the police, right, in terms of racism and things like that, if anything, I think me being Asian actually helps me more than me being white. It's weird because I've been pulled over many, many times with multiple different cars, right? It doesn't matter if I'm driving a GTR or my Matrix and it has super tinted windows. Out of all the times I've been pulled over, I've only gotten a ticket maybe like less than 50% of the time. And a lot of those times, it was me doing the wrong thing. Either I was speeding, I um, was on my cell phone, I have uh, tinted windows, but I actually have more like, I just feel like when a cop sees like, oh, a little Asian kid, he's like, he's late to math class, let him go or something like that. You know, it's just really like chill for some reason. 
And there's times too where we would loiter, right? Me and a bunch of my friends are all Asians. We would hang out like in a um, parking lot and we would be there all day, every day for like a decade. It's like a little hangout spot we would all go to. And every single time a police officer drives by, they don't say a thing to us. Not check. They don't check us. They don't harass us. Nothing. They probably just see all oh, a bunch of Asian kids. They're studying for finals. You know, it's super, it's like weird, but nothing has ever happened. And granted too, like a lot of these incidences that have happened, like for me, getting pulled over, loitering, all that stuff was always in really nice neighborhoods too. So the police officers are probably like not even worried at all. Right. And guys, that's not to say that police officers are not good. You know, they have the hardest job in the world. Like one of the hardest jobs ever to do um, in the world to go out there and have to fight crime each and every single day. My father was actually a police. So I actually know how that feels to go to sleep every single night, not knowing if my dad will actually ever come back and seeing my mom every single night going to sleep, not knowing if my dad will ever come back. You know, it's just how it is. It's one of the hardest jobs in the world. And for them to go out there and fight crime, it's one of the most difficult things in the world. And I think the best way to actually stop this type of racism in terms of like brutality and, and stuff like that is they, they need to step up for themselves by kind of like ratting out on their own people. Like you got to step up for yourself because they're, it's tarnishing the police brand, the law enforcement brand. You know, we pay a lot of money in taxes. We trust you guys to defend our women and children, our elderly, our, our, our peoples. You know, you're, we're giving you a badge and we're giving you a gun and we're giving you a baton to protect and defend us. And for you guys to turn around and use that against us, right? Against black people, right? That's really, and, and you're doing it with your own personal agenda. It's not like, like um, a, a mission or something like that, that you, you were told to do. It's your own personal agenda that you wanted to do it because, you know, you had some, you know, prejudice in your mind, in your life, who knows what happened, but you're, you're treating other people that way. And that to me is how I think we can actually fix um, this police brutality. In terms of fixing racism as a whole, I honestly don't think um, it's possible for us to actually fix that as a whole. I feel like human beings naturally will create um, defense mechanisms for ourselves to protect ourselves from things that we do not understand. Okay, I, I, I know it sounds really messed up and I hope I'm wrong about this, by the way. It's not something I actually want to be true, but I, I think that if Thanos from, from Marvel, right, came here and snapped his finger and said, racism ends, there's no police brutality, all of it ends right now. I still think that in the future, some idiot's gonna take an airplane and run it to a, a building. And out of nowhere, we all hate those people of that race. And out of nowhere, kids are gonna get jumped that are of that race in high school. And that pe those people are now gonna hate the other people that jumped them and it's gonna create racism, okay? One day, some, some, someone else is going to eat a bat or whatever, and it's going to spread COVID-27, COVID-85, whatever, and then everyone's going to hate that race. You know, I feel like with racism, I feel like it's in, in, our, pre, um, it's in our human condition to kind of create biasness towards people of a different color or a different race, or it's not even race, right? It's with religion, it's with cultures, it's with nations, so many different things. We've been fighting each other since the beginning of our creation. That's just how it is from the Vikings, from, you know, Islam, from, you know, even Chinese people against other types of Chinese people because they live in a different village, right? It's just something that's been going on because we don't understand each other that way. Can we minimize that to a very, very low level to the point where it's punishable by law, this and that and this and that? Yeah, absolutely. But in terms of in the mind, I don't know if that's actually true. And I think that's a really sad um, reality that we all live in. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it, it, I mean, I don't want it to be true either. I don't want that to be the case. Um, and who knows, who knows what the future holds, but I think that humans in general, like you said, they have that in them. And uh, at some point in the future, it's probably going to come back out again, even if it did end today. But I don't know, it, it is something that I believe is taught. I don't think it's something that is just like 
innately in you at the same time because it's like um like like i was listening to this interview like today and the lady was saying that she was like you don't you don't just you're not just born you know an asshole you become an asshole because of how you, you're learned like you you pretty much get taught how to be an asshole because of whatever influences you have in the outside world and the same thing goes i believe with racism it's like if you grow up in a, in a, in a family that is, is racist and they, they have these prejudices against other races and they talk about other races in a degrading racist way you're most likely going to become that product of that environment where you are that same exact person so i think that for i think the generation that has the best chance of ending racism is the generation which is like my generation which is like you know 18 to 25 year olds right now and, and people younger than us i think that is the best generation that has the chance of overthrowing those old small limiting belief mindsets and like those really negative um behaviors um, and hopefully that is what happens. I'm, I'm pushing forward. I'm doing everything I, I can um, to, to try to do my part. Uh, um, and I hope, I think if everybody individually does their part, um, that's how we're going to be able to, to get the upper hand. And I think that something that should be taken into account too is like holding police uh, officers accountable for their crimes as well. Because at the end of the day, they're human beings too. They shouldn't be treated any different than me and you because they're wearing a badge when they commit a crime. It shouldn't be treated. If, it, if a police officer is in uniform and he goes and robs a store he shouldn't be treated any different than a regular guy who's going to the same store and robbing that same store it shouldn't be any different if a police officer is killing a guy and a regular guy is killing a guy it's the same it's, it's killing you know what i mean it should be treated the same exact way obviously if there's you know there's certain you know police deal with different types of people if somebody's crazy or you know i'm not going to get into that but like in a situation that is what's going on right now by all means the officer that killed you know George Floyd should not be let off the hook by any of those things. And he's committed crimes in the past too. He's been let off the hook in the past too. And he should not be at all be uh, let un, you know, let this go unpunished. There should be consequence for those types of actions. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, so this, let me go on a quick rant uh, real quick about the whole police officer thing. Okay. So there's a reason why, now, this is me speaking not just from experience, but then also because I know a lot of police officers, I have followers that are police officers, students that are police officers, as well as I train jujitsu with a lot of different police officers. And I can see why they end up backing each other up and staying quiet because it's almost like, um, it's almost like, uh, you know, I have your back, you have my back type of thing, you know? So imagine there's 10 police officers, right? One of them is bad, okay? If that one of them is bad, the other nine tend to stay quiet about him why do they do that because maybe that one has had their back before you know maybe they fought crime and they needed that guy to be there maybe they got into a situation where they're like yo i need back up 44th street and then that one actually showed up but they all know maybe you know he is a little meaner to this toward towards black people maybe he is a little brutal to towards black people right but a lot of times they don't ever say anything and then what happens if that one police officer does rat out the bad one then what of the other eight you know, kind of sees him as a snitch and they kind of stop backing each other up because you got to remember they have a really, really dangerous job, you know, for them to go out there. They need each other. They have to have each other's back 100,000%. If one of them starts to like to slack off on, on taking care of each other, then that means they could die, you know? So it's one of those things where it's really, really hard to crack the system. Okay. When one of them makes a mistake, okay. For, for this scenario, the, the guy who uh, murdered George Floyd, he had 18 complaints on him already beforehand. You know, there's a, it didn't make any sense why no one stepped up. Like even after the first, second, third, fourth, fifth complaint, no one did anything about it. And a lot of that is because the system 
is messed up there. They're, they're always trying to look after each other's back. But what they have to realize is by them doing that, they're actually making them, they're not having them, their own backs by doing that. You know, you're not, if, if, if officer A knows that officer B is a bad officer, he owes it to officer C, D, E, F, G to rat out officer B. He owes it to all of them to rat him out, you know, because it's, it's not right. Or at least talk to him about it and be like, Hey man, I saw what you did. I'm going to keep quiet. But if you do it one more time, I'm going to have to fucking rat you out because that's bullshit. You know, like at least do something like that to where you have to, they have to take care of each other. They have to look after each other and protect each other from themselves as well as from um, criminals. Yeah, I get that. I, I get that. But I also think that there should be a system in place inside the actual police system um, where they do have, you know, a way to take care of and monitor these kinds of things that happen and actually hold the police officers accountable without having anybody having to go to anybody to tell them about it. It should just be whether it's body cams or whatever that people monitor or whatnot. You know, there should be a system in place for like documenting and, and monitoring police officers when they're on duty and holding them accountable for whatever the crimes they commit while they're on duty, having a specific team of people who watch, you know, whatever goes on or whatever, um, and make sure that whatever happens, the officers held accountable for that. And if, if it's, you know, deemed that he did something out of line, he should be punished for that. He should be punished just as a regular human being should. You know what I mean? He shouldn't be punished just because he, uh, differently just because he's a police officer. I think that police officers in situations, especially like what happened recently, and there's hundreds of, you know, other cases, thousands of other cases like that, that don't even go and get any publicity because it happens in, in dark and in the secret and nobody gets, you know, footage of it. Um, but in those situations, there should be some sort of system in place uh, in the police system for holding those types of officers accountable um, so that this type of stuff doesn't happen. And if it does happen, it's made sure that it's taken care of, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. So um, let's move on to the next one, the riots. What do you think about that right now? I think the peaceful protests and all protests happening right now are hundred percent good. Like go ahead and do that. You know, I think that is, it's amazing. I think that everybody who wants to speak up should speak up and then attend the protests. But when it comes down to it and you're looting stores, you're destroying property, you're, you're putting graffiti all over the city and you're essentially you're trashing your own house. Cause you live in LA, you're trashing your own house and you're using it as an excuse to go and steal from stores and cause chaos and, you know, it's just, it's, it's over the top. It's unnecessary. There shouldn't be any, any sort of looting or anything like that. I think the protests for sure should continue to happen. And uh, obviously there's some situations I've seen videos where police instigate, instigate riots, they instigate, you know, they, they say things they cuss people out. They, they you know, it's, it's a lot of situations that, you know, you don't know everything that's going on too, but the looting and the destroying of businesses and the trashing of, of businesses should not be happening at all. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, to me, it's just like common sense, you know, like, if yeah. if you have an issue with the situation, why are you going after the individuals that have nothing to do with it? You know, yeah. it's just like a regular business owner. And you also have to remember, like COVID-19 just happened and these business owners are itching to go back to work. Like they are at the brink of like, you know, um, bankruptcy. And now they finally, finally have the ability to actually be able to put food on the table. And out of nowhere, it's just like getting destroyed. And, you know, innocent people are getting killed. They're getting beat up. You know, it's just like, it's crazy. It's madness out there. Um, we'll go ahead and move on past that because I feel like, you know, a lot of you guys maybe have gotten way more um, from the riots. I mean, it's just like, it's all over the news right now. It's all over Instagram. I mean, there's so many crazy things that are happening. You know, people are robbing Rolex stores, Louis Vuitton stores. People are trashing like 
um, car dealerships, you know, it's just, it's pretty gnarly insane. I mean, I can go on with like 50 different stories of um, people I know that have gotten their stuff completely just destroyed overnight, you know? So last subject we'll, we'll talk about before we let you go. I think it's almost an hour and a half now that we've been talking. Um, 2020 elections, your first year ever being able to vote. Are you going to vote? I don't like anybody running for president right now. That's for sure. I don't like Trump. I don't like Biden. I don't like anybody else who's in the running. Um, I'll probably vote for other pe other things, other people, you know, other policies. But president is like we're doomed either way. It's like, okay, Biden becomes president, we're doomed. If Bernie Sanders becomes president, we're doomed. If Donald Trump stays president, we're equally as doomed as the rest. So it's like we're just voting for who's going to, you know, fuck it up less than the other guy. You know, it's like I don't, I don't, really, I don't really care. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm – I lean more so, more so towards Republican stuff, but I don't consider myself Republican or Democrat or anything like that. I somewhat lean more towards the Republican side in, you know, in certain situations. But in this situation, Donald Trump is the Republican. And I don't like Donald Trump at all. As president, he's, he's horrible. You know, he's like not, he, he, he's good as a business guy from a business standpoint. He's a smart guy. He's made a lot of money. But in terms of politician, a president, you know, somebody who's in a, in a position that he's in, He's not fit the position at all. He's said a lot of things that are just messed up. He's done a lot of things that are just messed up. I don't agree with him. I don't like his character as a person. As a businessman, he's good. As a general, you know, in general, as a person, I don't, I don't really agree with him. I don't like him as a person, to be honest. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I actually, too, kind of lean more towards the Republican side, but I also don't know who I should end up voting for, you know? Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of weird. We're actually stuck in a weird situation with that but yeah that's pretty much it guys thank you guys so much for listening in if you're still on this call right now i mean you guys stayed for an hour hour and a half so hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode um matt you got any last words um honestly just uh my best words of advice would be to discipline yourself work hard read books um if you have a dream pursue that don't let anybody tell you you can't do it it's kind of cheesy stuff but it's really true if you apply it you know work hard don't like i said don't take no for an answer you know um, and obviously if you do that stuff, it's, it's a matter of time before you do succeed in whatever it is that you want to do in life. Cool. Thank you guys so much. I'll see you guys in a different episode. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time out to watch this video. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please hit the subscribe button or if you have a question at all, feel free to leave a question in the comment section below. If you want to check out any of my courses or my training programs or you want to follow me on Instagram, join my Facebook group, follow me on Snapchat. All the links are in the description below. If you're listening in on podcasts and there's no description below, please go to www.peterchanjr.com forward slash learn more. Again, that's www.peterchanjr.com forward slash learn more and I'll see you guys in the next video.